Hello, this is July 20th, 2021. This is season 12, episode six, maybe five and a half uh, of the Soybean Pest podcast. This is Matt O'Neill, and on the other side of the Zoom is my colleague, Aaron Hobson. Hi, Aaron. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah, doing okay. Glad to have you back. I did a little mini podcast without you. It wasn't the same. Yeah. So uh, I have some agenda items. I'm curious how you, uh, what you're hearing. If you have any uh, insect updates. I also wanted to, before we, uh, we end, return of the fit. I sent out a, a fit last time with a picture. And the question is, what is the common name? Maybe we can end on that. I've got some clues to drop um, before you give your answer. Okay. And a little story about it at the oh, end. Okay. So, um, insect updates. Well, I was wondering before we could do that, if I could do a humble brag. Ooh. Oh, I love a humble brag. Yeah. Bring it. Um, All right. I'm going to put myself on mute so I don't step on your humble brag. Well, you may have heard about a journal called the Journal of Integrated Pest Management. And it's sort of an applied extension themed focused, whatever you want to call it, publication series of with that's refereed. So you have a peer reviewed process that you go through. And it's been um, about 10 years that the Journal of IPM has been um, public. And, you know, it takes a while to get impact factors and things like that. But um, I think it has entered the top 10 as far as impact factors for etymology journals. But that's not the humble brag. The humble brag is in the latest issue, I have four articles, not one, not two, not three, but four articles that came out. Two for soybean um, caterpillars, one for corn rootworm or a needs assessment for corn pests that Ashley and I and, and uh, two field agronomists did. Angie and Megan. And um, the, the fourth one was uh, sort of a first report of soybean gall midge in the world. So kind of some different topics, but yeah, I was just like, oh, I didn't realize they were all coming out in the same issue. Woo. Crushing it. A little bit what? crushing it. Top 10 journal, four articles, one issue. That's insane. Are they open access? Yeah. Oh my, so people need to stop listening and just go read. Yeah. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. You are uh, a remarkably productive scientist. That's a lot of work. Four articles. Pandemic. Got something done, at least. Um, can I drop a little tea? Yeah. Uh, uh, the Chris Steltzig. Do you know Chris Steltzig? Oh, yeah. Executive director of... Uh, the Entomological Society of America. I had a conversation with him and he said um, last year, the uh, publication rate was uh, way high for ESA journals, but he said it was uh, coming down this year so that you, uh, uh, that you were able to maintain productivity during the pandemic and after is remarkable. Because a lot of people weren't able to continue projects, you know, with the pandemic and 
uh, keep the pirate ships afloat and get out stuff. But that's nice. Well yeah. done. Yeah. I was surprised. Well, we'll put the links in the uh, the chat box so Be people can go look yeah. them up. That's yeah. fine. Great. Congratulations. Okay. Sidetrack, back on track. You know, it's not bragging if it's true. Yeah. It's true. I just... I mean, I knew they were coming out. It was the surprise that they were all coming out at the same time. So I kind of look like a publishing, I don't know what. A beast. Publishing beast. I was trying to throw you it's off your game. It's never been a, something to describe me. I don't know. I Didn't you used to play rugby? Uh, yeah, I mean, a long time ago. Were you a beast on the field? No. On the pitch? Mm-mm. Not a beast, but I had fun. To our uh, our listener, I was trying to throw Aaron off by giving her the too legit to quit hand sign. I understood it. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So uh, insect updates. I, we didn't talk last Friday. I mentioned a little bit about um, the group's efforts to track down aphids. You know, we've started scouting. Uh, not just for aphids, but for aphids that are resistant to insecticides. And we've got some uh, early cooperation from uh, the ISU research farms and then a couple uh, soybean farmers who have uh, given us the go-ahead to look in their farms. And uh, we'll start the bulk of that next week. But so far in at the research farms around central Iowa, uh, very few, if non-existent populations. I would echo your thoughts. It's really hard to find aphids this year. How about other insects? You finding anything? And soybean? Yeah, soybean. Well, let's start with soybean and then maybe expand out from there. Yeah, this, this week my lab started to do a very detailed transect survey of Iowa looking for soybean gullmage. And so far, every county that they have been sampling in has been positive for soybean gallmage. These these right now are not any new counties that were undetected before. So they're just confirming that the, the populations are persisting. So they are going to sample at least the western half of the state until basically they run out of steam or I run out of cash or something. But they're just going to keep sampling now on the days when they don't have uh, some other protocols to follow. So you're not you're not sending them out with a one way ticket, are you? Well, I mean, they are visiting commercial fields, so they're just kind of like popping in. You know, they don't necessarily have permission. You know, they're just sort of looking at the edges for midges. So sure. I hope that they do okay. Usually farmers don't mind if you're just kind of poking around the edge, but yeah. They'll be wearing ISU t-shirts and driving yeah. a, a white yeah. Impala that says yes. ISU on it. Yes. Please don't hurt them. Yeah, I know. That would be a bummer. Um, <laughs> hopefully this is not... Uh, a preempt to a later story, but yeah. Um, foreshadowing. Thing, uh, foreshadowing. Yeah. We don't want to foreshadow a tragedy. A bad situation. Um, yeah, I'm not really seeing too much else as, except for a few, few potato leaf hoppers. And I am getting some reports of people concerned about redheaded flea beetles. Um, when I was at the field day at the, at the Northwestern farm, that was actually the most dominant insect that I saw was redheaded flea beetle. I don't think the injury is anything significant or economic, but they're just kind of fun to see because they're a little bit larger uh, hop, flea hoppers. Like so. visibly redheaded? 
Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And they're real jumpy. They've got those big thighs. What? Thighs like what? 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 <laughs> do, what kind of damage does a flea beetle do? Is it a chewing pest or? Well, I think about like the corn flea beetle and it has more like it scrapes along the top side of the corn leaf and kind of makes like etching. I don't know how to describe how to accurately describe it, but they're just sort of scraping off hmm. lines. Sure. I have a hard time knowing what is flea beetle injury, whether it's defoliation, like you'd see with a, uh, like Japanese beetle or a caterpillar, like pieces are missing. I think that the holes are fairly small. Um, so I, but I, I'm not sure because it's, I, it's hard for me to like, because they're so mobile, they don't like sit and feed on a leaf. So they, they tend to move away when I get close. So, yeah. Anything else? That's kind of the highlights for soybean right now. Um, in corn, the, the chat is still continues to be about the high rootworm adult pressure um, around the state. Just a lot of people who are assessing root injury or they're walking through fields because they're checking pollination are just noticing a lot of westerns and northerns. And, um, you know, so that that is concerning to see a lot of adults flying around. And um, I think there is some corn earworm that's starting to infest ears. And so, of course, they're really kind of gross and nasty, but um, people are finding corn earworms too. Oh. Um, and then there's some grasshoppers in areas that are really dry. You're starting to see some grasshoppers defoliate corn leaves a little bit, but that's not too terrible, but people are just noticing them. So, that, um, and then Japanese beetles. Is Are the grasshopper reports coming mostly from the Western side of the state or like the Northwestern corner? All over. Yeah. Um, I, well, I get regional updates every Monday from our field agronomists and just a couple of them noted because they're spending a lot of time in crops that it's easy to find not only the nymphs, but now they're starting to see adults too. Are you, uh, do you keep up with your colleagues back at the Utah state? Not for extension related things, no. Um, I've been checking the news every once in a while. The grasshopper outbreaks in the Southwest mm. are tremendous. It's extremely uh, dry, right? Yeah, and they, the the reports I was reading of defoliation mm. at you know at a per like per unit mass is amazing that the grasshoppers per unit mass consume more foliage, more plant material than cattle. And uh, the, the concern now is, you know, yeah, they're trying to spray and, and, and you know, keep, knock back those populations, but they've already laid eggs. So mm. in the soil and, and it's not clear that the, uh, that life cycle has been disrupted. So it, it's just insult to injury. They had a drought, they have the grasshopper outbreaks, and uh, some of the entomologists that were quoted in the articles that I read in Newsweek and CNN were saying, yeah, it's probably going to continue into next year as yeah. those eggs um, spend, you know, the dry season in the soil and then it hatch the following year. And yeah. I was just curious if, like, we're getting spillover from those outbreaks on the western edge of the state. Oh, maybe. Um no, I don't know much about grasshopper migration behavior, but I know they can move kind of in big distances in clouds, right? Big, big masses moving. Yeah. So like the, the transition to the migratory locus um, where you, uh, you get those 
huge plagues that run through the Middle East and Africa. I think we had that uh, back in the day. There's a guy, Lockwood, who wrote about that and um, that phenomenon in the Plain States. But that, from my understanding of that sort of historical literature, we haven't experienced that in decades, you know, maybe a okay. hundred years, partly because of tillage and agriculture that broke up the life cycle and prevented the sort of, uh, what do you, the aggregatory behavior that would result in that transition to the just voracious migratory mass that, you know, travels around. Have you been but, hearing cicadas around town? Not so much. Yeah. How about you? Um, I've been hearing them in the evenings uh, as I sit in my backyard, just kind of north Ames. Yeah. I've noticed a lot more cicada killers than I have cicadas. Oh, okay. <laughs> have you noticed that too? I've seen a handful. They aren't around my home, but um, I've seen them at a couple of friends uh, you know, yeah. along their side, up, edge of their sidewalks. Uh, yeah, I had a fun uh, day with the, uh, the beekeepers and I, I gave them a box with a cicada and a grasshopper and I asked them, which one is the locust? And it was about 50-50. You know, a lot of people refer to cicadas as locusts, but, yeah. you know, technically uh, the locust is an orthoptera. It's a grasshopper. Cicada, not so much. It's a hemipteran. That was, that was kind of a fun, uh, it was fun for me. I hope it was fun for them. So anyway, oh yeah, you and I, I cut you off. You you ended with Japanese beetles. You're still getting reports of Japanese beetles, and are they large enough that people are spraying, or is it just more uh, observation? Um, I I'm unclear. Just people have been noticing. I mean, their usual behavior is to aggregate, especially kind of on field edges. So people are noting them, and they're worried about corn pollination because you have corn rootworm and Japanese beetle and you have a few other things happening so it's sort of a a couple different species I think is of concern at the same time but I have not heard about them being an issue in soybean yet but I think some people get really nervous when they start to see like plants that are defoliated along yeah. the along the margins. I, I've been a bit surprised at how few Japanese beetles I'm seeing mm. And some of that is in the soybean fields I've walked, but mostly it's been around town. Uh, and in the, I have a grapevine and there's a bunch of linden trees in our neighborhood. And usually about this time of year, you start to see a lot of the skeletonized leaves and the aggregations. Um, I'm not saying they're not there. It's just their populations don't seem as bad as what I've seen in years past. Mm. But if that's the case, we'll take it, right? That's a... Uh, yeah. Definitely. Anything else? Um, those are those are the highlights. That's what I've been hearing and seeing since we last met. Okay. Should we do the fit? Yeah. Let's get fit. So did you see the picture? I'm looking at it now. So the question, don't 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 answer just yet. The the question is, what is the common name of this insect? And our listener can take a look at that as well. It's a blurry picture. I apologize. Part of that is because um, the, the picture was sent from a concerned colleague who was seeing a lot of these in a field. So uh, I did a little digging around and I, I, I think I know what it is. Um, and I got some clues to lead you to what I think it is. Do you want the clues or do you want to try the uh, give the answer? I don't know what it is. Let me start with some clues then. All right. So 
I'm looking for the common name. The scientific name in Latin, I believe, is pronounced Rivella Rivella Quadrifasciata. Quadrifasciata. Rivella. Not helpful. All right. All right. It's a plat. It belongs to the family Platystomatidae. See, I thought it was a uh, a tephridid, but no. All right. It's a member. This is. I I don't mean to be insulting. (laughs) Remember the diptera order diptera. I got that part. Yeah. I know you did. That's why I said I don't mean to be insulting. But I I thought it was a tephridid, like a true fruit fly. But this is, uh, it shares some of the features in the wing venation of the true fruit flies, the tephridids, but it's not that. All right, the fourth clue, and I think this one's going to nail it for you. Um, larvae, the larvae of the adult that you see in the picture, feed on the roots of legumes, especially the nodules. Especially in soybeans. Soybean nodule fly? There you go. <laughs> We have a winner. I, uh, and I'm all just so really good about common names. Yeah. Is it, <laughs> where'd you get this from? An oak tree? Oh, yeah. That's the uh, the oak fly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, the backstory on this was, uh, or is, a colleague of ours at Iowa State, Artie Singh, is uh, interested in mung bean cultivation. And she, uh, maybe the first in Iowa, if not the Midwest, who knows, maybe North America, um, to cultivate mung beans. She's got hundreds of varieties that she's screening for agronomic purposes. And she sent me an email with a bunch of pictures. Here, I'll even share uh, this with you. Um, She uh, put out sticky cards and started seeing a bunch of critters on the cards. So stuff that we had just talked about, Japanese beetles. There, there were even some uh, rootworms, uh, southern corn rootworm. And uh, I saw a few bean leaf beetles on the plants. But the thing that kept showing up most on the cards and then in the plants were these flies. And she got really nervous. Can you see the one there in the picture? That's the 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 image uh, that I blew up for the uh, podcast. But she got really worried because around this time, uh, she's seeing the flies on the the flowers that you can see here in this picture. And she was also noting that a lot of the flowers were dropping, the petals were falling off. And last year, she had a hard time with uh, some yield loss. She was worried that these nodule flies, soybean nodule flies, were the source of this damage to the flowers because she sees them on the flowers. And that's not unreasonable. Uh, But I went out and visited with her and we walked through the field and um, I said, you know, that an adult fly, its mouth parts wouldn't allow it to damage a plant such that, you know, a part would fall off. They've got these spongy mouth parts that would lap up the nectar and pollen from the flowers and maybe, you know, from a, a wound, but they're not going to be the ones to cause that damage. Um, I did suggest that she look at the roots because although it's called the soybean nodule fly, I was checking around in the literature and 
you know, this, I think this is a native to North America and it feeds on a lot of different legumes. Uh, and it'll, so it's not restricted to soybeans in the way like the soybean aphid is. So I suggested she might look to the roots of her mung bean to see if, uh, you know, she's got damage to the nodules. But what we found, you know, with some further investigation was this critter, Japanese beetles that were aggregating on the flowers and chewing the base of the flowers off and, and you know, continuing to feed on the wound site. So I, I, think, I think we have some comfort knowing that this is not uh, the culprit for her, um, her specific problem. And I'm, I'm skeptical that it's a, a pest at all for her crop. It, it may very well feed on the roots, on the nodules and come out of it, but I don't think it's something that uh, is causing injury. You know, maybe causing damage. It's you know just it's a herbivore. It feeds on the plant, so there's a damage. But that damage isn't significant enough to reduce yield, at least in the way that she was seeing it. Does that make sense to you? What do you think, Aaron? Of my yeah, it's it's definitely not a common fly that I see in soybean. But I wonder if you would more readily catch it with a sweep net. Um, uh, yeah, and. I just don't know enough about the pest to know how abundant it is. Yeah, I, I've seen it around, in, especially on traps. You know, and it's, it's not super abundant in soybean fields, but we'll see it you know, occasionally. Uh, it's kind of a cute little guy. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never, I had never seen it to the, the extent that she was seeing it. There were a lot of these flies on the plants and buzzing around. And I, I don't know if she was just attracting all of the nodule flies from the surrounding soybean fields, or if she has built up a population uh, because she's grown it there now a couple of years. And maybe this nodule fly really likes mung bean, you know, so it can reproduce in greater numbers on it than you than it can on soybeans. Um, but anyway, I, I thought it was interesting, you know, uh, got got me thinking about how these non-native plants can be used by native insects and, you know, something that we name for, you know, one plant or one crop, soybean nodule fly, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's limited to that plant. It's going to show, it could show up elsewhere. Right. Yeah, and I thought, weren't they doing some of this breeding efforts in in Michigan with mung beans and other types of dry edible beans. Oh, is that right? I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Maybe that's just in my mind. Well, I think you're right that Michigan has a lot of dry bean production. I think mm. they're kind of lead the country for that. I know Chris Stefanzo talks a lot about dry beans when she's at meetings. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I don't know that much about mung bean uh, no. beyond what Artie told me. She said it's a a really popular food grade or uh, human food based uh, protein source uh, in Asia. And uh, she thinks it's, it could be really um, well adapted to this area, this climate, and maybe a, a alternative crop into the future. So, all right, there we go. Fit. Okay, I feel fitter. Oh, that's good. I feel any uh, upcoming gigs, events you want to plug? Um, I have, I have a couple events this week, but um, they're mostly private. So, 
Ooh, these like corporate gigs, they fly you in to, you know, do a little stand-up routine and give you a big old check. Um, I think it's more of a free thing where I drive there and then I maybe get like um, pork shredded sandwich for lunch. Oh, that sounds awesome. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you get a slice of pie too? I hope so. Hmm. Well, that's something to look forward to. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't think I have any gigs coming up. Uh, what is this? This is the 20th, uh, about a month from now, school starts. Oh, got all that to think about. That's right. So, well, until then, I think maybe we could wrap this one up. Okay. Thanks, Aaron. Okay.